episode 374 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Occasionally on Topic Podcast. I'm your host for today, Peter Treisenberg. I have Fury on the boards that don't exist anymore. And today we are once again coming together to talk about Hironobu Sakaguchi's Xbox 360 Extravaganza Lost Odyssey. Uh, joining me today we have Alex Franichak, the man who's just back from Japan. Hello, hello. I had a great time in Japan. Would recommend. So jealous. jealous. Extremely jealous over here. (laughs) Uh, And then that other, those other dulcet tones you heard were Zach Wilkerson. Hello. All right. So last time on Retro Encounter, we talked about Lost Odyssey, this game kind of interesting throwback to the Final Fantasies of Yore from Mistwalker Studios. That was an Xbox 360 exclusive. Um, still remains locked in the Microsoft vault. Um, and we come away from it with sl- a slightly mixed opinions on it, I would say. I know, Alex, you and I both really like this game. Yes, I I, I did really enjoy it. Uh, ultimately, um, we'll get into some of the gripes uh, I kind of had, which I'm sure you had some things that you weren't too fond of, but as an overall experience, like I absolutely enjoyed it. It, it gave me like pretty much everything I was I was looking for. Oh yeah, no, there's definitely some some things to quibble about. Um, and Zach, I know you you'd mentioned off off recording, and I'm curious just to get your your thoughts in brief on this game because I know you came away a lot a little more negative than we had. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. I didn't really like it at all. <laughs> um, uh, I'm so sad now. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. Please. please I wanted continue. to. Uh, it's um, it's a game that feels at odds with itself. Um, like it has this fascinating premise, and in the short stories, it explores and plums that premise. But in the main game, um, I feel like it is shockingly poor um like there's one really good moment and we talked about it last episode and it's at the end of disc one when uh kaim's daughter dies after that i feel like um we have all these characters who outside of honestly jansen i couldn't tell you anything about them um and the dungeons are awful (laughs) i hate them (laughs) um but okay (laughs) it's my opinion i i just feel like the game the game doesn't really ever come together um, to be to living up to even close to the uh, the excellence of the premise, and I feel like the fact that I can see the premise uh, done well in the short story segments, I think highlights how much of, how how large my problems with this game are. No, that's totally fair, and um, it's definitely one of those things where um, the short stories. Again, we talked about those a lot last episode. They really are, I think, the one thing that people can agree on is, like, the high point of this game. Like, they're well, they're super well-written. They really do, like you said, plumb the depths of this premise. We're really going to explore the life of this immortal character and present it to the player in a really unique fashion. Um, but the actual main story of Lost Odyssey is pretty divorced from those outside of maybe one or two instances where you unlock like the memories of a couple of your other immortal party members. I, I feel like um, it's almost totally divorced from it. Even in those cases, like I feel like um, Seth's um, like you have like this really interesting relationship that is presented that Seth 
um, was a part of for like, what, 800 years or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's never mentioned in the main game. Uh, Ming, whose short story I think is really good. Um, I-, I feel like she is so totally trampled over by their need to insert romance into her story that it it really negates the beauty of that short story. And like I, I feel like the personalities don't seem to fit with what we see in those short stories in almost any circumstance, even with Kaim, who uh, does a lot of shouting at the end of this game, but I, I'm not really sure why. So, um, yeah. I definitely agree with the, the Ming disparity, especially just because um, she was just like a, a queen for, for so long. She saw so many things. She witnessed like the rise and fall of like kingdom and um, basically, yeah, she's just relegated to being like a, a damsel in distress love interest for Jansen towards the end, which, um, yeah, it's just like a, a really waste of a, of a really compelling idea for a character. It's true. They don't really develop her, like a bit, her like political savviness, um, all that well, aside from like the instance where you have the, uh, there's the scene in Goza where you have the, uh, the meeting of the three nation heads. But that's really the only instance I think where her role as queen really becomes a core part of the story. Mm-hmm. Although I actually kind of liked her and Jansen's relationship, I thought it was very sweet. But yeah, as an me. idea, it was it was perfectly fine to like try to emphasize this like the tensions of like a romance between like an immortal and immortal. Like it, nothing wrong with the idea, but just like in terms of the execution, could have could have been more deeply and more interestingly explored without kind of compromising her her characterization in the way it, it kind of did yeah and, and it's interesting too because uh, and this is true with all the immortal characters and sarah who i think is the weakest of the four which is saying something um it, it's it's like um and we'll get to the ending but i feel like they they seem to not acknowledge that in the like basically that any story or any experiences happened in the main narrative prior to those thousand years, like the relationship of Kaim and Sarah doesn't really make any sense to me at all in the context of the uh, thousand year dreams. And they don't ever explain any of that. Or maybe they do in some of the site content. I don't know because I did very little of it, um, but they do a little bit. Um, yeah, like Angora, I saw some of that, but that was it for me. Yeah. And the whole like um, uh, Seth, uh, and her relationship does kind of come into play in in her kind of main side quest. Oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, uh, there is there is an optional dungeon that is the cave that she was trapped in in that one story. Ooh, okay. Um, I almost kind of want to do that. It is kind of neat. I mean, but again, but also too, if you're if you're looking for more story stuff, there isn't a whole lot there. It's mostly part of a path to get a good weapon for her. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, though, I do appreciate this game's side content which will we before we move on with the main story quest i do want to touch on that a little bit in terms of like rpgs that offer a lot of optional content and stuff to do off the beaten path i do think lost odyssey excels in that regard because there are secret there are side quests there are hidden secret weapons there are a lot of optional dungeons and bosses um and the rewards for doing so them are pretty substantial like you have a lot of accessories that can um mute mute um nullify specific kinds of damage 
you there's um also uh, like the most powerful white magic black magic and spirit magic in the games um <laughs> what i find especially funny is that when um tolton eventually joins the party uh the the kind of bratty king of ura you can um you can do his side quest and find these like tablets all over the world and collect special gear for him and do this whole dramatic one-on-one boss fight with a golden knight boss that is like meant to be his like coming of age or whatever. But if you're anything like me, you just give use the skill system to give it all the time. Oh, absolutely. Because, it's, <laughs> because it's it's because that's that's the best sword in the game and I'm not going to put Tolton in my party. I'm just going to give it to Kai. Yeah. I mean, I get I get I gave that I gave like the best sword I had of his, which probably wasn't that um to to seth but yeah uh, um he has some really good accessories and some really good equipment that i definitely uh was pulling skills off like the hp plus four um mm-hmm. and I, let me tell you if you don't do the side content the end of this game is pretty hard which i actually liked a lot it is very difficult yeah <laughs> uh, like pretty hard uh because i think you can get like you were saying like if i had the ability to mute like all these different spells um mm-hmm. the final boss would have been way easier uh, but I didn't. <laughs> so oh, by the time by the time I had fought the final boss, I was completely immune to elemental damage and all status effects. <laughs> yeah, um, me too. <laughs> which which that changes yeah, things a lot. <laughs> kind of turns that fight into a joke. Yeah, um, probably the final it, dungeon too, because the final dungeon is so frustrating because I didn't mm-hmm. have those things and they just throw status effects out like crazy. Yeah, the um, final dungeon is incredibly yeah. long and incredibly. Yeah full of those annoying roadblock enemies that are meant to kind of yeah. halt your progress, waste your time, your resources. Um, and that, that, and that, so that's, that's one thing I actually do appreciate about this game, though, is I do think you are well, well rewarded for exploring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and doing those contents really does give you the sense that you have taken this game and these, this skill system and sort of pick, picked it apart and broken it up, which I think is a, a rewarding sense for the player. Um, yeah, it's interesting to to hear the Zach describe like the end of the game is like very challenging because I I also did like um like almost all the side content and uh like kind of the ultimate challenge in the game maybe I'm getting a bit ahead of us here but uh, it's the the Temple of Enlightenment dungeon and oh, that, I did not do that that but, to me yeah. was the real <laughs> last dungeon because um, after doing that and like just having all my characters prepared and powered up and carefully like planned out and like using all my ultimate accessories and learning all the skills mm-hmm. I need for that all found found it all very rewarding to do but then it just made the end of the game like completely trivial mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, I, I could totally see that I mean like um, it, it still was doable and I did basically no side content like I did uh, a little bit of the Gangora side content only because apparently like, there was a good spot to like grind some levels uh, outside of Gangora's um secret lab little, or whatever his little hobo laboratory yeah um but i really didn't do very much besides that but you know what's interesting uh is uh, and i'm curious to see how this plays out in the other side content one of the biggest frustrations i had with this game is that i feel like um they understood that you had the ability to uh, change equipment mid-fight and they basically forced you into it all the time if mm-hmm. you were not overpowered and to some degree i appreciate that it, it's it's kind of like smt where it's like you need like a specific thing and a specific skill and a specific idea to get through this. But it was almost like, at least in the final couple dungeons and the final fight, where the final fight, like literally the weakness changes every single turn. I just had to go in, go to my equipment, 
change the rings out. And it didn't add challenge to me. It just added time and frustration to me. And so I like the idea of it on paper because I like uh, battle systems like that. But by the end, I found it enormously tedious. I'm curious if that's true in the side content as well. No, I was going to say that's totally fair. But um, uh, the skill system, I think I think by, by the end game, I think you're also encouraged to, to have given your physical fighters like uh, triple uh, triple combo, which basically just lands three normal attacks in a row. You, while you don't get your elemental bonus from the from the rings, it still does more damage on average, especially if you've buffed the party. Um, which honestly kind of just wound up being my main strategy going forward was just buff party, have Kaim and Kaim and Seth go burr. Oh, interesting. Because I actually didn't use the um, the three combo uh, skill too much. I. I... I spent a lot of time, like I, I really got you, into uh, like the micromanaging. Really? Like I was, I was creating like different rings and, uh, like yeah, just like creating those like combo rings you can do. Like if you have like forge specific like single ability rings, and just like doing that and landing perfect hits and getting like thousands of thousands of damage with like Kaim and Seth was like pretty satisfying. I gotta say. It is pretty fun if you're in, and I, and I am a, I am definitely a fan of timing based mechanics in RPGs. Um, I just felt like by the end game, I was getting better results by using um the the MP skills, um, and also through uh and 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 buffs from my other party members. Uh, we mentioned Sarah a little bit ago, who's the fourth immortal character who joins your party. Um, this is shortly after the party escapes from Numara. Um. Yeah, so after the after um the party gets back to Numara from the Crimson Forest dungeon, they wind up seeing that uh Jansen's been spying on the party for Gongora inadvertently. Um and you have a short, fairly easy boss fight against uh General Kakanis in his giant tank, which that character is completely ridiculous, and I will totally <laughs> anyone who doesn't like him, I agree with you. He's kind he's kind of goofy. To me, he's basically just like miniature Gangora. So <laughs> he's pretty, but he's Gangora. Except I think Gangora is funny. I don't think Kakanis is fair funny. enough. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> um, uh, then after after the party gets away with with Ming in tow, though, the next dungeon after that is this whole bit with a haunted um a haunted mansion, which is where we end up recruiting the woman we've been seeing in Time's flashbacks, which is Sarah, the fourth immortal, and Time's wife, Lyrum's mother. Um, and I know you mentioned you mentioned that she's kind of the weakest of the four. I honestly kind of like her, but only just because I think I like her interactions with Time and Cook and Mac. I kind of like the idea of, of your immortal grandma and grandpa and their grandchildren like partying up to do stuff. And um, I could see that, but can you name me a single, and this is a sincere question, a single personality trait that she has outside of being a grandma and maybe a wife? Because I, I, I can't disagree think with you. Um, I because disagree with I, I, I feel like, like I don't even get a dream sequence with her. Um, I, I, I honestly don't know anything about her personality. She's like maybe a little quiet. I, 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 I just feel like. Uh, She's, to quote, to quote Monty Python and the Holy Grail, she's got huge tracts of land. Well, sure, yeah, but so does Ming. But yeah, um, so does Ming. Yeah, uh, it's JRPG. So uh, I mean, like, I, I feel like Sarah is the most perfect encapsulation of my issues of this game. 
in that she literally doesn't have a personality in my opinion um like it, it's like i i love my children and my grandchildren and my husband but like i feel like she doesn't really talk to kaim that much and like is like what is the history between them i don't understand it i don't feel like it's ever really explored i feel like you would see conversations between them about their life together how long was their life together mm-hmm. i don't know because they didn't tell me how did they meet did they realize they were both immortals at some point um because we know kaim had a wife before according to one of the short stories so like how <laughs> like it, it, it's how it's why it's unexplored for me i think she is a great encapsulation of my weaknesses my, my problems this game yeah i i absolutely agree that um their relationship should have been explored more like actually in the game because like if they are like husband and wife for like a thousand years you'd think there'd be something there and considering like that they lost their memories and like went through these also like separate lives together that there'd be like more to catch up on and reflect on but yeah none of that really does happen in the game but um i'm not sure if you got to the um side quest where you go back to the uh sorceress's mansion but there, I guess it's like a hint of character development again, kind of similar to like with the Seth thing, where um, I guess her time in the mansion, like she was, she's like a very like passionate and avid like researcher, but she was kind of like going crazy with like loneliness and um, like there you you end up like fighting kind of like a manifestation of like her her negative emotions. So okay. yeah, there's something there that yeah I agree underexplored could have been explored better. Um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, kind I think of part, you see part that. for the core. You see that a little bit when you first get her. Um, I'm not. I know there is a side quest to go back there, um, and I think I went back there briefly to grab something. Um, I think there was uh, some accessory I wanted back there, but um, yeah, I, I, at least in the main game, I, I didn't see much. Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely it's definitely um, an issue with this game's story progression. Um, that again, outside of the character, outside of the short stories, which really flesh Kime's history out, um, and then the other immortals are sort of left in the dirt because you get one story, what like two stories for Seth, one for Ming, and none for Sarah, and that's kind of disappointing that they don't like take the opportunity to flesh out these other characters' histories. Because yeah, it would have been cool to see what was Sarah doing prior to all this. How did she meet Kime? Or rather, how did she and Kaim reconnect? Because, as we discover later on, all of the immortals um, came from another world, and to learn more about this one, and sort of all had kind of a collective agreement going forward. But Gongora decided to break that promise because he got all power hungry, and then started wiping their memories out. So it's it's entire. So it's possible probable that Sarah and Kaim had at least some sort of relationship before settling down in in the in the human world. Um but it's not really developed all that much. During I think and then that comes kind of comes to a head at least initially during our first um co- um actual confrontation with Gungora at the experimental staff dungeon, which is a pretty long uh a pretty long little dungeon in and of itself. But um, that's when we get the first hints of like what's actually going on with Gongora. Did did and your guys' opinion of him change at all by the end of the game? Because honestly, I really do find Gongora to be completely delightful <laughs> in a in a ridiculous sort of way. <laughs> um, 
no. <laughs> um, it, it, <laughs> but, uh... may, it may have gotten a little worse uh, just because <laughs> I just got to see more time with him. And, and like, if we're talking about like the immortal side of things, and I think that they do a little bit of work uh, about like this idea that like human emotions are almost like a drug to him as an immortal, um, which I think is a, sort of an interesting concept. Um, but they don't do enough with it. And it's, uh, I guess, I think a lot of it honestly comes down to his voice actor, who I don't like at all. <laughs> oh, um, I love, I love his voice. I think yeah. his voice actor is having the time of his life. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I just wasn't <laughs> when I was listening to him, but um, I, I, I think they could have turned him into an interesting megalomaniac um, with just like a couple of, couple of moves here and there uh, about what his what his plan was or why his plan or. Um, even just like what he was like before he remembered, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I think any of that would have been interesting, but the lack of information we have about him and just sort of, again, the, the insanity of his megalomania, <laughs> um, did not engage me. Yeah. I can't say I, he in particular really, really grew on me either. Uh, I was a little disappointed in him as a villain overall, just because I thought there was a lot more interesting potential to develop uh, a history between him and the other immortals. Um, that, like, I, I, I don't really understand why the game wouldn't have wanted to explore that further. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's just like that's like the key to like a, a great villain in a lot of these like JRPGs and the Final Fantasies is like creating kind of an interesting relationship between them and the main character. Um, and uh, th there was clearly an opportunity to do that. Like the concept was great of having these five immortals, four of them being like in your party and one of them kind of going off to do his own thing. But yeah, I mean, just like with a lot of what we've been describing, just like uh, a missed opportunity um, where there's like a, a solid idea and then uh, it just could have been executed a little bit better. Yeah, that's totally fair. And yeah, there's definitely, I think that's been kind of the, the gist of our discussion so far. It's just kind of been, uh, there's a lot of stuff in this game that touch on really interesting concepts that don't explore them to their full potential. Um, for, for my money, like I've said, I, 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 it's not even just for the beam factor. I guess Gangora is a completely one-dimensional villain, but at the same time, I do find his over the topness to be kind of refreshing um in, 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 in now that, especially now that like okay we have a lot of villains in jrpgs especially final fantasy games that have like your tragic backstories that try to garner up some sympathy like you have like emmett self from 14 is probably be like mm -hmm. but best written example in recent memory or, sure. or arden from 15 arden's good too um, yeah he's one of the best yeah. parts of 15 yeah yeah, no, it's really, and it's yeah. really interesting and good. At the same time, though, I do kind of, uh, again, now that I've been replaying to the old Final Fantasies through the Pixel Remaster collections, there is something kind of fun about, like, just a very simple, this dude, this dude is just evil because evil. And I think Gongora is an example of that, where I just find, okay, yeah, this guy's a cartoon character villain, but at the same time, I find him to be utterly, utterly entertaining. Yeah, uh, yeah, I definitely see the value of that, and uh, as a very fair, fair perspective, I just, I guess for me, it's just like that type of villain doesn't fit in in this particular story for me, at least. Like this, this yeah. was clearly an attempt. That's at also like, valid. At like a more like kind of mature, um, nuanced kind of story. 
um, more like adult and theme and tone, and uh, just having that caricature kind of villain just felt a bit a bit off to not explore him further as a character. I think that's a really really good way of putting uh, putting my issue with with Gangora and with the game in general is like sort of that tonal disparity. Um, and, and I, I agree with you. I mean, like I love Final Fantasy VI is one of my favorite games of all time. Um, and obviously Kefka is an almost cartoon villain, but he's also kind of funny, <laughs> like, like <laughs> sort of that blend of the funny with the, um, you know, horrific um, makes him engaging. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas like, to me, this is more of an X death situation as we've played Final Fantasy V, um, where I think X death it was actually more interesting than this because at least he's like a tree or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> it has that going for him. <laughs> yeah, he's, got, he's got that going for him. Um, I, I feel like it's more interesting on that front. And I also think that, um, and it gets to something else that I think this game is trying to do where it's trying to use like sort of like the weird pacing, uh, the quick pacing of an SNES or NES RPG. Um, but then it blends it with like these really interminable like sections where like you're exploring something or going through something for a really long time. Um, and so like the pacing of the story is really strange and I, I feel like they're trying to blend those two things and pull like those NES SNES stylings, but also blend it with what they are trying to make as a mature story. Like it, it's, it, it's just like such a weird mishmash of things for me. Yeah, it's definitely got, um, I think, I think, and I think that is part by design in a lot of respects. I think the game is deliberately going for a throwback style, but in modern graphics, which is something that a lot of JRPGs later on down the road, like your Bravely Defaults and so on, would take and run with. Although we haven't really gotten a triple A example of this that I can think of, aside from maybe like Persona, as far as like these the only turn based JRPG series, it's like really still active. Yeah, I could see that. But I think that the difference between um, those games that you're mentioning are like even like an Octopath or whatever um, is like those games know what they are and they execute what they are. And this game, I think, thinks that it's saying something interesting about life or whatever. And we'll talk about the ending, which I also um, find troubling. Um, it doesn't seem to work as well for me, at least personally. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I I feel like if they had another like year in the oven with this, it could have been a really great game. <laughs> Yeah, it does feel sort of like unfinished in a lot of a lot of aspects, especially when you uh do think of like the disc four side content. Um just like the way it's um ultimately like presented, like a lot of like reused kind of dungeon assets and some areas that like just like won't have like music. It, it feels like those weren't deliberate choices. It feels like those might have been due to uh yeah, the need to, to get the game out a bit earlier. But I will say in terms of just like kind of the old school uh, structure that the game's working with, kind of like, you know, like town, uh, dungeon, town, dungeon, sort of old school JRPG progression. Um, while we're still on disc two, I, I do think that kind of uh, set of dungeons, like Old Sorceress's Mansion, uh, the Black Cave, Experimental Staff, mm-hmm. Ice Canyon, I thought those were like a solid set of dungeons that like, not only had like a very like fair um and satisfying like difficulty curve but each kind of had like a little mechanic that they played with uh to make mm-hmm. exp- exploring them a bit more interesting like the old sources mansion with like the mirror puzzle black cave had the 
Um, you had to have like a lantern to like avoid kind of holes in the floor that you couldn't see like unless you had the the light with you. Experimental staff had this like really nice like verticality to it, like you were really like climbing and progressing through it. And uh, Ice Canyon had those little little ice slides you could go down. So all in all, I thought that was like a great uh, set of dungeons. That um... but yeah, th- that's pretty much all I wanted to say is like I thought like Disc Two had a a very nice sense of like slow progression to it in terms of moving through like these dungeons with unique mechanics and kind of introducing more characters uh, into the party, slightly more difficult fights. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad Alex that you brought up the, the disc two dungeons, because I actually agree. Like, I feel like a lot of what this game is trying to do is play with mechanics in dungeons and like the puzzly nature of dungeons. And I think in the latter half of the game, which we'll get to, I, think it's incredibly frustrating but in disc two i agree i think like the stuff in the crimson forest which i guess is technically disc one but um and the ice canyon and stuff like that or even like the old sorcerer's mansion like they all have like a feel to them and they all like have like one puzzle mechanic that i don't think is so M- i guess the ice canyon has two with the people the, the things that are stealing from you too right um but they're not so eminently frustrating that I felt like they really slowed down my progression in annoying ways. Um, and so, yeah, I agree. I think that disc two, even though I don't think it hits the highs of the end of disc one is probably for me, this game at its strongest. I actually, I'm inclined to agree as well too, as far as like the disc two dungeons. Cause I do think this game's dungeon design is generally pretty good. Um, in terms of like, like you said, how it takes, there is going to be like a central mechanic or gimmick to the dungeon, and then the player is left to explore and utilize it. And I think this too is kind of that sweet spot where you have like that. The dungeons aren't too long that they don't overstay their welcome. Whereas mm-hmm. in the late game, especially Grand Staff takes too long. Like you will not hear me argue about that. The final, the final dungeon of this game is kind of a gauntlet. And especially if you, it, it, even if you have like broken the game in half skill wise, then it just takes longer than that it just takes a long to navigate there yeah i mean i was i was just running from every fight there because <laughs> i was yeah. like high enough level that i thought i was okay but i just didn't want to deal with all the fights and yeah. there are a couple times in in grand staff since we're talking about it where like i literally couldn't see where i was supposed to go um and i tried really hard not to guide this game but i had to like look up a guide like when i'm on this floor where's the ladder <laughs> uh-huh. um and i think like that happened a couple times later on in this game which i found very frustrating personally yeah nope and i i I totally hear you there and it's 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 this is the point i think for me one of the things that i really appreciate about this game is are those dungeon mechanics because a lot of dungeons especially in modern rpgs a lot of the times with your dungeon design is just going to be super linear corridors and not much in the way of interaction whereas these these areas do feel like they were designed to be explored and to use and, and as like part of the gameplay experience. And yeah, I do, and I do just appreciate like, that. Yeah. They, so they just like give the players something else to think about. And, and Zach, your, your point that they're just like, the mechanics are there to like, give you something to, to do and think about without ever feeling like imposing. Like that's definitely true of those disc two dungeons, like mm-hmm. very breezy, but interesting at the same time. And this is, and I think the same is true, at least for me, of the game's towns, um, which jumping ahead a little bit, um, on disc three, uh, basically at this point in the story, Ming's plan is to, we want to make an alliance against Ura, 
So we're going to go reach out to Gozo, which is like the nation they were at war with at the start of the game. And um, Gozo is kind of this magical industrial haven, very similar to Ura, but leaning much more harder on the technology aspect. Their city's design is very mechanical in nature. Um, and I really just, I really like the towns in this game. The little villages, the big cities, they all feel very expansive. The NPCs all have stuff to say. There's a lot of side content and little quests you can uncover that don't really have a big impact on the story, but like, like you can go to like the little casino area in uh, Gotza and talk to this one NPC and keep giving him money to bet. And the game doesn't ever tell you this, but if you keep doing it, eventually he will get a return on his investment and pay you back and really? he'll make a tidy profit. <laughs> oh, yes, he does. I forgot to return I, to him. I lost like oh, 5k man. to that dude. <laughs> that, no, you have to keep you have to keep doing it because eventually he does win and he does give you multiple times your investment back. Um and then he and then if you oh, talk to him, shoot. and then if you talk to him again, he loses it all uh, all on the next bet, which is hysterical. Um <laughs> it's 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 little things like that that I really appreciate about this game in terms of like its town and environments. They do feel like places. Yeah, and, um I I agree for sure. And, and Goetza in particular, I think it's it was like the most interestingly designed city in the game. Like I love like those pendulums swinging around, like the whole aesthetic of it is very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, even just like that little like train station segment going back and forth, like they they just like staged Gotza very well, I thought. And then to just like see it get kind of annihilated not soon after you get there is was kind of crazy and jarring and uh, had a pretty big narrative impact for for me at least. Yeah, um, you know, I, I hate to say something positive about this game, but well. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no, I think Gotso is a well-designed uh, town. I actually think that um, some of the like, Ura, um, I think, is a sort of a frustratingly designed town because of just how large it is. And like, I wasn't sure like which thing I needed to jump on to get to this other spot. And I understand why it's there narratively, but I found it a little frustrating. But I feel like Gotza is interconnected enough, but also expansive enough and interesting enough that like I didn't find it frustrating to navigate. And I I did find the casino. I did also lose a bunch of money there but um um, yeah i i think that goza is like the game design and the idea of the game design of this game almost at its best where it's not overwhelming it's not frustrating to navigate um but there's so many like little tucked away things that i think are interesting to find interesting to sort of um get your head around that i think that it's it's a really impactful um town and seeing it destroyed i agree alex is indeed impactful I like the king there too. He's an interesting character. Oh, he's an interesting one character, of the best yeah. characters in the whole game. Yeah, it's and too that bad whole... he he was out of the picture so quick. Yeah, he he, do, he does really get dealt with pretty quickly. But I do like that his character, and I really like the little um meeting of the three leaders to discuss what to do with the grand staff project. Like that is a scene that feels like okay, we're actually getting into the politics of this world. We're actually getting to see Ming like kind of try to negotiate things with these people. Um, do a little political subterfuge and like and and uh once again Tolton, who is just the world's biggest patsy, um, is just is is there with a little magic contact lens so Kagora can spy on the whole thing. It's like that 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 bit that bit feels really interesting to me. Yeah, true. That just like the whole Goza section was maybe the the strongest just like straight up storytelling mm-hmm. in the game. Um and then like having like 
I mean, we'll get into it in a sec, but like having like the party separate soon after that, mm-hmm. like the, the game really does mm-hmm. take some interesting narrative swings, like uh, end of disc two into disc three. Yeah, I, thought- I mean, I think that that conversation that Kaim and Sarah have with the king is one of the best written scenes in the whole game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it has like all this like weird over the top vocabulary at times, but like it, it, it felt it feels it, I feel like you can feel the history between them there. Yeah. And like that is really strong. And that's that is the thing. And again, it's like it's back to my frustration. Like that is such a well-written and an interesting scene. And, and it feels the weight of the game's history. But I feel like the rest of the game just does not feel the weight of that history. And that's, um, I guess, where my frustration lies. No, I totally agree. It would have been really cool to see a lot more of that. But I do agree that it is one of the strongest moments of the game, too. Because, yeah, like, you do really get a sense of, like, these characters that know each other and have for a long time, and that time and Sarah have this kind of, like, this world wariness about them, almost. Like, they, they, they've been through a lot together, and a lot has changed. And now this guy in front of them is just so much older. Yeah, and on that note of history, b- before we move on, um, really wish we got to see more of Kent. Uh, cause it was like right there. You could go there and just see like. The There's gate. not much to do there, yeah. Yeah, but um, it seemed like I mean, like the whole opening of the game, like Kent is like a huge part of it, and um, I just feel like it was one of the more interesting civilizations in the game world, based just on kind of like the description that we get of it throughout the game, and to just like ultimately like see none of it, and just to have it kind of like completely destroyed as like a kind of like passing consequence of the whole uh the kind of gotza being destroyed situation that, that was kind of disappointing i was really looking forward to seeing kent and for it to not be much was was a shame well it's interesting um the idea too that it's like the, the, a lot because goats uh effectively um occupied Kent mm-hmm, exactly. and, and had all their soldiers in the battle at the Wool Highlands and then they all got killed which meant that this civilization just got utterly devastated uh, there, there's there's potential there that isn't really explored because it would be interesting to see them get into like yeah this 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 the, the, the effective effectively this culture has been almost completely genocided mm-hmm and for a game like so interested in in history and the sense of having like these immortals like for that yeah it just felt like yeah just another missed opportunity that yeah maybe maybe was also uh because of time constraints on on the game development yeah i do know that the developers had a bit of a struggle um with the engine which this is just kind of a running theme with japanese games around this time a lot of them were having troubles um adjusting to hd game development and to the the specifically the challenges of like developing on this hardware um was a big leap um and i know sakaguchi was pretty frank about that during that period it was actually in response to um that uh yoshi p discussion about Final fantasy 16 recently oh interesting yeah, and he was pretty upfront about, like, yeah, yeah, we had these issues running forward, and we did the best of what we could, but our goal throughout the whole process was to give, was to carry forward, like, an authentically Japanese sensibility. Which I do think Lost Odyssey delivers on, even though 
there are definitely points in this game where you can feel the constraints and the the efforts like this game especially and this this comes to the game's performance and technical specs as well there's a lot of parts in this game where it is struggling like I, we're I'm, I'm playing this on an xbox one which is doing a pretty decent job of keeping the thing together but even there like there's lag there's slowdown there's not a lot of it the load times aren't nearly as bad but i would imagine from what i've everything i've heard on like og 60 this game was definitely like really really struggling it yeah I, I did hear about that but um yeah it's it's a shame that on even on xbox one you, you had to face some difficulty um, and it and it wasn't like a lot most of it was just kind of like old game syndrome you know what i mean but like there's definitely parts where you can see like there are definitely some npcs that don't get as much love as others there's um areas like tents or some of the later dungeons that are just kind of like like you said recycled assets and stuff like that um you have uh some of the facial animation is really good in some areas but not so good in other areas um the multi i think the most telling thing is the different art styles or um and in, in cinematics how you have pre-rendered stuff in engine stuff cg stuff um and it, it's all it's fairly inconsistent about what 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 is going to be where and i and i think that actually is because like i think a lot of this development was outsourced um that was kind of how Mistwalker walker operates is that they were the ideas house and they had a lot of other developers uh feel plus in this case um doing a lot of the outside work yeah i guess that could definitely kind of account for some of the the tonal disparities and awkwardness and in, in different aspects of the game mm -hmm. yeah i mean in terms of performance um i was playing on a series x and it played fine yeah <laughs> yeah it did, um, did but it definitely it definitely jittered at times but i just thought like eh, it's like the the hardware is so good that it doesn't understand how to deal with it <laughs> compared to what it was dealing with originally but mm -hmm. yeah i I could see how this would push the 360 hardware pretty significantly, um, which I guess is a positive thing. It's, and this game definitely does try to, like, I, I think is also pretty good about, like, individual sequences, but there's definitely a lot of moments where it tries to really, like, split things up. I think one of the better examples is actually the train sequence that happens right after Goza, after um, the big meeting and Gungora effectively is, like, declares, oh yeah, Tolton's dead, uh, I, I'm the king now, we're at war with Goatsa now, and Tolton's like, I'm not dead yet, and he's like, yes, you are. Um, uh, and then he summons... Did you watch a Monty Python movie recently, I, I feel like I feel like some of this is very fresh in my mind, all, for some reason. Can't really put my finger on why. Um, <laughs> um, and then he summons an army of Godzillas. Uh, that bit's kind of cool. You have this, and then he freezes Goats Asala with this massive surge of magic energy. And then you have this whole bit where, again, the party's separated and Time and Sarah are trying to get to Cook and Mac. And you have to, like, race through the area while it's freezing behind you. Like, that's a kind of a fun sequence. It's tense. It feels, it feels like it's not particularly difficult. Um, but it's one of those areas where, yeah, okay, you have to, like, kind of, like, you're kind of just kind of going through this big um, dramatic sequence. And I thought that was kind of fun, and and I think it did. I think I felt like there, I did feel that there were some like genuine stakes because like you know Cook, Cook and Mac might be like the child party members, but they are still children, and it does feel like okay, well yeah, our main characters are immortal, but they're not. Um. 
so I don't know. I, I, I thought that sequence was very effective. It does, and it leads into um, a later section too, where Seth is sneaking around uh, Ura with um, with Tolton, and we get to meet our last party member, who is um, Sed, who's actually probably my favorite character in this game. <laughs> yeah, I thought what you were saying, Peter, about the um, train sequence when like uh, Goats is falling apart and everything, and like your your Kaim and Sarah trying to protect Cook and Mac. That that's just like a really good um, like microcosm of, of what disc three does and what it does well um where you have all these like kind of the characters uh divided up into like much smaller parties uh you put them in kind of narratively interesting situations like like uh like the train like kind of walking down the frozen train tracks even though it's like a very like linear section is has a very cool like vibe to it then you have seth tolton and, and said going through like the ura alleys and into the sewers um, which just like kind of expands like the our understanding of like how big that city is in a lot of ways, um, and then like Jansen and Ming uh, kind of being together and, and developing their bond. Like these were all like very cool ideas for 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 character development, for putting the player in kind of uh, kind of more narratively experimental uh, situations and set pieces. Um, and I, I thought the I really like disc three and all, but uh, I will say, like you were saying, like because the party gets kind of fractured and divided in this way, it does end up kind of trivializing the actual gameplay because like you just can't have the same kind of interesting combat encounters anymore with these very small parties. So I guess that's like a little consequence after kind of the steady difficulty progression of disc two. Um, but in all, I, I was pretty happy with with how they structured Disc Three. I, I thought it was like a really nice change of pace, and um, yeah, it's just just cool to play through overall. It's interesting because I thought that Disc Three was kind of messy, <laughs> um, and and I agree. Like I, I I liked that it had its Final Fantasy VI moment, uh, where it split the party into three. Um, I like the notion of some of the things they do, like the Cook and Mac sequence, even though it is literally just you walking. I, I think is is interesting mm-hmm. um and, and it, it blends gameplay and story and it, like it, it feels frustrating and like hopeless but it's supposed to um and i like that but can i just point out like in the middle of all this there's just like some weird random cutscene where some ballad starts playing and it's about it's about ming and jansen <laughs> and i'm like what is happening here um and i feel like the i'm like we, we just we're, like we're afraid people are dead at this point and, and i'm like what what it's it's again it's like and it, I, maybe it's just me but i had no investment in ming and jansen at that point um and so like it felt like it was supposed to be like this grand romantic big moment and i'm like you haven't done anything to lead me to this and it's just like it feels like it's like weirdly cut in and interspersed in the middle of all this and so like i feel like um when it comes to like the pacing elements like it's so much of the story happens in disc three like i feel like 70 percent of the story happens in disc three and it just feels off to me and weird. And I, and it wasn't not like in like in a good way, like in a David Lynch weird kind of way, like, you know, like uh, you didn't understand how you wanted to put the story together. So you just dumped everything at once. And I like the concept, but I feel like the execution didn't really work. I oh, feel like I I blocked that uh, Jansen Ming ballad sequence out of my memory because I can like vaguely remember that now that you I mention it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that 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 yeah, that doesn't sound very good, and and I don't think I I enjoyed it in the moment. But 
yeah i mean like uh i definitely see what you're yeah exactly um yeah that's definitely a valid criticism of disc three but i guess just like i i enjoyed the contrast of disc two being kind of this just straight up um old school jrpg experience where you're doing like the like just alternating between little towns and and dungeons and then like just disc three being kind of this more narratively experimental thing i I guess i just liked the change of pace i I thought it was kind of welcome but uh yeah the the gameplay did suffer a bit and yeah i I think that's a valid critique i also think um i think uh said is probably one of the characters that i think this is another moment where i think the game actually does the immortal thing quite well um because i like the notion that so said is um seth's adult son who's now like an old man now and I really kind of appreciate that. I like the idea of, um, oh yeah, this character is like, yeah, she's 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 lived long enough that her son has long since outgrown her and is at the end of his own life, most likely. Like, it's kind of an interesting spin on what they did with Lyra. Um, I think it's a fascinating concept, and I think that Seth is a pretty good character, um, mostly because of his interactions with Tolton. Yeah. Yeah, he and Tolton have a good like budding romance yeah, going. Yeah, I, I think I think that's pretty good. Um, but I actually think like I feel like the relationship between Seth and Sed is boiled down to the fact that he calls her mommy, and that's it. <laughs> like they don't talk about anything, and it, and I think part of it is, and I, and this maybe just kind of just occurred to me, like because those dream sequences are technically optional, like you couldn't really use them, and I don't know how the development worked. Like if they were happening over here. And like they read the script of what the game was going to be, and they were like, "Hey, we're going to write these dream sequences, and they'll meet up with what's happening here, kind of." Or like they saw, I'm guessing what they saw was a vague outline of what was going to happen, mm-hmm. and then they sort of blended it in. But like in this case, they don't ever talk about that incident that happened, um, you know. And I and I feel like there's such a again like there's so many depths to explore between Seth and Sed, uh, which would have made what happens at the end of this game significantly more impactful and not like a well that seems random, which is what it seemed like to me. Um, situation that I, I, again I, I feel like Sed is like a, is a really solid character that they take two steps and they need to take him ten. Yeah, that's fair. There's definitely there's definitely more grounds they could have. Um, explored him for sure because I think he gets mentioned in one of the short stories. Um, yeah, in the but... second one because the uh creature, whatever I can't remember the name, is trying to kill Seth, and then Seth kills um that creature as a result. Yeah, and I think and I, I, I do think that does come back to play only once again during one of Seth's side quests. But yeah, you're right; it's not really a big thing in the story and that again i think uh, that tells me too that like i don't think that the team that was doing the memories and the team that were doing the game itself were communicating too much in terms of like because it's just it's just so clear that there is a dividing line there just like another missed opportunity and, and yeah the fact that um like seth and seds kind of potentially interesting relationship is is kind of boiled down to like a recurring joke of him calling her mama is uh yeah uh, another missed opportunity for sure although if nothing else this the this the thing about this bit is that by the time we get reunite the entire party um we are basically almost done by that point too because 
this is the point where okay you have a few little bits like um once they find that kind is still alive and they have um there's the great ancient ruins dungeon which is another kind of like long one um and then from there it's basically side quest city unless you want to go to um straight to the final boss is the great ancient ruins the one where you have to like push pillars over and over again Am I remembering that? And like you split like your two parties there as well. Yeah, you do. Like yes, deal you with do. different mechanics at the same time. Gosh, I hated that one. <laughs> it's a long it one was... for sure. The the boss is also a significant difficulty spike for a lot of people. The ancient. I, I didn't. I didn't really struggle with the boss, but man, I struggled. Interestingly, the thing I struggled with the most was like apparently there were stairs down at some point that I couldn't see, and it's so like I was slipping back and forth between the two of them, and I was like, "What is happening here?" Um, and so it it was just like a a bo- it was it was a dungeon again that like it was too long for the mechanic that it had and i feel like the camera stuff started getting more frustrating in the latter half of the game did the great ancient ruins also have like the kind of moving platform mechanic yes. yeah okay, so- cuz you were mo- you were moving the pillars to or off the platform there right yeah so they ended up kind of just also reusing both the visual aesthetic of uh those ruins and even the platform mechanic in the uh temple of enlightenment kind of that like ultimate uh kind of challenge dungeon um which i did have a a a really good time uh conquering but um yeah just like the the side content in disc four um varied a lot for me between being like really uh rewarding and satisfying and being kind of just like meh and underdeveloped like i think areas like the terrace cave uh numara toll forgotten cave snow fields um those were all just kind of reused assets and kind of just little areas that like they weren't like nearly as as interesting or um like smooth to play through as the chapter two dungeons and yeah, just the fact that there was uh, like no music in some of them too, I thought was like a big bummer because like you know this is a Nobu Uematsu's soundtrack, so you kind of want to be hearing his his tunes as you're playing through the content. Um, so that was that was pretty disappointing to me. But I will say that uh, getting geared up for the Temple of Enlightenment and the whole uh, backyard area at the in oh, like the fight kind arena. of yeah the fight arena and and, and Goza that. That is maybe my favorite battle arena in in any JRPG. I thought like just the fact that it was kind of more like puzzle based fights rather than like simple uh, challenges of like attrition. And like there are those like extra uh, instructions you could take on to get like the full uh, kind of rewards uh, if you discovered like the different um, like rule books for the the backyard. I thought that was all like really good stuff, and I, I had a really fun time uh, working my way through through those fights yes i didn't actually do the fight arena um did you end up fighting the the super boss the immortal one yeah that's that's the only uh thing in the game i did not beat because it was it was absolutely ridiculous yeah. like like i even did like the temple of enlightenment i i, I thought i had, like i i can't imagine my characters like being any better than they the kind of were at the end of that game and still like that boss was just like nah this is this is ridiculous i'm not i'm not grinding for this that fight is definitely supposed to be significantly harder than the rest of the game. And it is kind of cool. Like, again, I do kind of appreciate these, like, 
challenges in games. Um, I also there's also a DLC dungeon you can get, which I also didn't do because, from what I understand, it's not really worth it. Um, it's just a super long dungeon that you can go deeper into to get better rewards, and they do add some like new ultimate gear and a few extra slot seeds. Um, which can be good for character building, but from the sound of things, it's also, again, significantly harder than the base game. So, at that point, you're basically just clearing it for bragging rights. Still, if you're really into it, there's more game where that came from, I guess. And you can even uh, pick it up on, like, Series X, this uh, this DLC? Yeah, it's all, avail- it's, it's all available for download. On oh, there. wow, I never even heard of that. That's, uh, I'll at least look uh, into what that is. Yeah. There's also, um, I do, I appreciate, um, this is a cute little, um, in the, the Snowfields area, the boss at the end of that is Blue Dragon. And I'm like, ha, that's cute. The Mistwalker expanding oh, universe. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even put that together, but that is neat. Like, yeah, eh, they're trying, they're trying to put together something here that I kind of appreciate. Yeah, in general, I think the side content was when I was having quite a bit of fun with the game, just because I really liked going around the world, talking to NPCs, getting like the little secrets, and just making the most broken party I possibly could. Yeah, a lot of the the satisfaction of like the end game was was breaking the party for sure, and just like every time I'd get like a new accessory, and it like just seemed like kind of OP. Like I got like pretty excited for it. I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna put this on all my characters now. And uh, yeah, overall, like I think, like over half of my playtime was in Disc Four. Like uh, I, I really got into that side content, and even though I didn't find all of it super satisfying, like clearly I liked it enough to to do it. Yeah, there's there's a significant amount of it, and and it, I think it is rewarding to do it, even if not all of it is like quite up to snuff. Yeah, and then I guess like the the worst of it is maybe just like kind of the the fetch questy aspects like um like I think like the the Tolton side quest where you're looking through the monuments the the treasure hunting one where you're kind of like picking up clues about treasures and then trying to like find them based on the clues and then like f- assembling and finding like Seth's, uh Seth's pirate crew like pretty much all of those were just like um like have a little clue and then revisit like a previous area that you really wish you didn't have to get into random encounters for and and try to find the thing and and <laughs> yeah. that that wasn't the best but i will yes. say the the end of the tolton side quest with that that fight you mentioned his like kind of like trial coming to age thing that that, that was really cool I, I thought that was well done it's a cool fight and the boss is super neat looking like design wise i yeah. really enjoyed it and it's all for nothing, because, again, Kime gets all your stuff pulled. <laughs> but that's a strong Kime by the end. Oh my god, so OP. <laughs> so, um, are we ready to talk about the end, the final final boss and ending, then? Since I think sure at this am. point we're pretty much all caught up. Um, so yeah, by the time we reach the Tower of Mirrors, the idea is that Gangora is basically trying to sever his connection to the Immortals' world so that he can rule over this one by harnessing its magical energy um and we're here to we beat down the door to here to kick its butt um i actually i like i like the final boss quite a bit i'm especially fond of the music um it's uh this this uomatsu score in in lost odyssey is really quite good and the final boss theme in particular is just this riff roaring hard rock song with like 
these soaring vocals and i just i really love i i i i start i I put the controller down and just kind of like jammed out to music (laughs) for a solid like 10 minutes yeah amazing amazing tune uh really cool idea of the fight where like kind of the mortals are separated from the mortals and I mean, ultimately, like, Disc 4 is about building your immortals, so, like, just to have, like, just them at the center of that fight, like, feels really appropriate and really satisfying. But I will say, just personally for me, because uh, I grinded out the side content a little too much, ended up doing the Temple of Enlightenment, there was just zero challenge in that fight, and it did feel a little anticlimactic to me, but I suppose I did that to myself. (laughs) I mean, that's the way it goes in most RPGs, right? You do all the side content, you're always going to obliterate the final boss. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, 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 I think it was interesting in terms of the challenge because, like, it felt like a, definitely a leap up, but it was still doable if you were really smart about basically your healing. <laughs> um, my two casters were just sitting in the back healing, and my three physical attackers, because you said, um, mm-hmm. on top of my other two, were just like hitting, hitting, hitting. Um, so it's definitely challenging, and I, I, and I like the uh, concept of the ending again, uh, or the last boss. I think it's cool. I think the music, you're right, I mean, the music is fantastic in this game, but it's interesting. The last time you and I were on a podcast together, Peter, I think it was Xenosaga, and I will level <laughs> the same criticism against it that you did, which is, like, there aren't enough tracks. I, I, I like fair. the Umatsu score, and I think that the final boss track's really cool, and I think it's one of his better modern track maybe his best uh but in terms of his um modern output post you know final fantasy 9 or whatever but mm-hmm. i i just think that the ending itself is so completely and horrifically out of tune with everything else that we think we understand about kaim because how is he happy after literally he complained about living forever in the 33 dream sequences that I read or however many they are. Um, it, and like, why does Seth go through? I don't know. Why does she decide it's time to give it up? That doesn't make any sense to me. Like it would make sense if they, it would been like uh, about something else, but it feels again, tonally disparate. Um, so that's, that's my issue with the ending. I think the notion that set that time and Sarah get to be together in this eternity, which again, but could have been better developed if we'd gotten a little bit of a better sense of their relationship. Yeah, I, mean, I do think. Go ahead. But I do think that is sort of the idea about why, at the very least, this longer life will be easier for time this time because he will have a constant companion. Um, the one of the issues for him in all the other parts was that the, is the, the solitude, and yes, one day. You know, there's gonna be there's gonna be downs to people, um, you know, and like and because the game also ends on um, time not time, uh, Jansen and Ming's wedding is like the literal final scene of the game, and it's a sweet enough scene, but you also have to consider okay, so Jansen's got Jansen's gonna die in like eight years. Let's just be as optimistic here. So and Cook and Matt are eventually gonna grow up and pass away. Sed's probably Sed's like got one foot in the grave already. So the immortal characters it's, are still going to go through a lot of the same struggles. It's just that there won't be Gangora to make it worse for them. But Kaim's struggles in the short stories are not Gangora. <laughs> they're no, I know, but that's, human that's, mortality. That's... They're the notion that people will die. They're the notion that he doesn't have anywhere he's coming no, from. No, or going that's, that's, to. What I, that's what I mean. Like, I'm agreeing yeah. with you. Yeah, yeah I, I, yeah, I, 
Yeah, to me it wasn't totally inconsistent with the character because even though Kaim's short stories depict like a lot of of suffering and kind of like tedium with with immortality, um, it's not only that like by staying he has like an, an an immortal companion. He also has like these two mortals that are kind of dependent on him, uh, Cook and Mac, which are his grandchildren, and um, I think like a lot of what those short stories also explore is kind of the the beauty of the fragility of mortality and you know Kaim ends up learning a lot from mortals and uh clearly like likes talking and interacting with mortals um through those short stories so i think just having cook and mac there um as just like another kind of you know f- two other fleeting lives close to him to kind of tend to and and hang on to like I don't feel that's that's and, totally inconsistent with this character. And and building on that just a little bit, I do think one of the core tenets of a lot of the short stories um, is the tenacity of human life, like how mortal char- mortal people make their finite lives shine brighter just through determination, perseverance, um, idealism. Like time is basically constantly being faced with his his own world weary challenged persona uh sorry his own world weary persona is always being challenged by the people he encounters um so even though their lives are fleeting they still have meaning mm-hmm. and so even though he will have this yes he will no doubt continuously experience loss throughout his long life he doesn't have to face it alone because sarah is there and also and and it doesn't mean that those moments are anything any less meaningful for him Mm-hmm. It, it just sort of means like okay he bought because again because we took care of Dangora and the magic energy crisis and all that stuff now maybe they can grow up and there'll be some like peace for a little bit for him yeah I mean I, I think that might have worked for me if I believed that his relationship with Sarah was a relationship <laughs> no that's um, again that's totally fair because they don't yeah. because she doesn't get a lot of time to right. that. right yeah and I, I think that could have worked um if they had done any work to not make me write a novel between the lines. Um, and and I, 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 to me, I, I, I really do think that probably what happened was they wrote this story, they did the thing. And then like this short story writer over here was doing this thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that we can, we can make our own connections within what we understand and what we've seen, but there isn't enough textually to convince me um, that that because he's lost children before he's lost his child. He's lost all these other things that that's enough for him to stick around because like, you know, cook and Matt could have gone with Jansen um, or in Ming or whatever. Um, so it, it, it didn't quite come together for me, but I understand your points. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, like, yeah, don't get me wrong, it, it was not the most satisfying and well-earned ending, and yeah, that the game does, in a sense, like, kind of require players to write between, like, the lines that, like, between the gaps that are there in the narrative, especially between kind of the short stories and the um, kind of more explicit in-game storytelling, but um yeah, I think like where where the game really fell short, and it's something we've just been touching on again and again through this podcast, is just um, 
failing to to characterize the characters beyond the short stories and failing to to plug those two aspects of the game together in a more interesting and um kind of responsive way and uh yeah i mean there's just a lot here in in this game that that's fascinating and and i love the premise and um for the most part I, i love playing through the game but um yeah th- th- there's so many quibbles to to be uh leveraged against uh how how the storytelling ultimately plays out yeah well i think lost odyssey is a game with a lot of highs and lows i think for me personally a lot of the lows we've talked about are either endemic to the genre or at least it, around that time period or it just didn't bother me quite as much um but i definitely again see where you guys are all coming from especially that cuz again like there's a lot of like character writing and potential in this setting that does go unexplored that i wrote that could have could have made the made this a lot more engaging on a narrative level yeah but P- part of me wonders if i would like the game better if it wasn't for the short stories <laughs> so it's I, like I, it's like the short stories brief that thing the short stories do really elevate the experience so yeah. much that it's like <laughs> yeah everything else sort of pales in comparison and for my money i think that those alone kind of make lost odyssey sure experiencing Mm -hmm. i think but i also mean like the tonal disparity like if i didn't know what it could be would i be less upset about what it is you know what i mean i feel like that that's maybe where maybe where i i think that um i'm coming from in terms of this yeah and and that's very fair because i feel like i'm coming from it just because of like the the highs that it does reach due to those stories and the the potential ways those could connect that's that's what makes this game like really interesting to me and and like something like just like an ultimately a, a very memorable rpg despite its flaws is uh i i'm probably gonna keep thinking about like the overall concept of the game and those short stories because i think those were those were real jrpg highlights for me if nothing else it gave us um a very a traditional turn-based rpg with some really interesting ideas at a time when the genre was kind of struggling, um, and I do kind of, and I do appreciate that. My, my really, my question sure. is, yeah. which I really, which I really would really like to see this game get brought to, you know, get freed from the clutches of the Xbox. Um, I don't know what the odds are of that happening, either because of rights issues with Microsoft or Mistwalker themselves, because they never have really seemed very keen on porting any of their games. Although recently, I guess Sakaguchi kind of teased that Fantasia might get ported to PC. Maybe one can hope. I, I would nice. really like to play that. Um, yeah, excellent. I mean, I, it it seems unlikely to me, um, just because outside of my own opinion, I know a lot of people on the internet like this game a lot, but it's still such a buried game. And I, I guess if you try to use the exact same advertising campaign, like the creator of Final Fantasy in HD or something like that. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. But um, it's hopefully a lot of people will have played this game because it was so buried on the Xbox and because even though I owned an Xbox, but I wasn't playing RPGs at the time. So like people who like RPGs in general, I feel like haven't, there's not enough word of mouth to probably make it worth it. Yeah, I remember doing yeah. just a little bit of research when I went last year, last summer when I was trying to decide between xbox series x and the ps5 and lost odyssey was actually one of my motivators for the xbox i was looking into if there's any hope for um 
kind of like a port and i i think i found an article where where sakaguchi like explicitly stated like you will not these games will not be ported um so yeah that it's maybe dark, he'll change a... his mind but I, I guess that's that's a possibility that it'll just never happen at least at least it... there's backwards compatibility at least the backwards compatibility definitely helps and it's one of those things where i hope that we can carry that forward at least just from a preservation standpoint i just always like it when like cool arts gets to you know get brought forward and i think lost odyssey and even blue dragon are really in- are interesting games that deserve to be you know kept around um so you know i i'm not gonna get my hopes up i'm glad i played it now so it's no longer like one of those like jrpg white whales that's sitting on my shoulder uh so now i can kind of approach it for what it is rather than the kind of mythic game that it get, you you would hope it would be, which is just what I thought it was, was a very enjoyable JRPG with some really, really neat concepts and a super cool art style and I and uh those really those short stories, the Thousand Years of Dreams. Mm-hmm. The, there was one thing that I was really hoping this game would do that would just like elevate it so much for me and I was just like crossing my fingers as I was progressing through the story is that like it would have like um kind of like this I don't know FF6 moment of like kind of having like a distinct like divide in the story except it wouldn't be about like an apocalypse happening it would be about like a major like time lapse happening and kind of all the immortals would move forward in time or something like that, and then like you'd meet new Ooh, mortals or something like that. I love that, and that idea. would just be like such a cool way of having like the the historical um, weight of the story just kind of reflected in how the the game is structured. And I, I man, I was I was really hoping for that, but I I guess it was too much to ask. I love that. That idea. is a super cool idea. No, I like that. I like that idea a lot. But if we're exploring like concepts for a possible lost odyssey 2 then it's probably time for us to call it a day so thank you so much <laughs> listeners for tuning in to this latest episode of retro encounter um looking ahead a little bit we do have some interest some episodes in the works for you we've got an episode on rpg emotions um which is going to be a tie-in with a feature that we're working on um just moments in games that got us all emotional happy sad angry all these that all these things so please look forward to that we've also got our next game journal in the works which is going to be a game we've mentioned a couple times in this episode actually it's final fantasy 6 yeah this is the big one appropriate after this one (laughs) it really did oh man yeah no that's awesome especially with the pixel remasters out now Mm -hmm. like six this is a great time to revisit final fantasy Mm 6 uh so definitely look forward to that listeners um, as far as um, as we are concerned, you can subscribe to Retro Encounter wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, you know, iTunes, Spotify, where have you? Um, be sure to check out our sister podcasts, Random Encounter and Rhythm Encounter. Always got some great content on there for you. Um, uh, listen, and also we also have a great RPG fan merch store now, where you can get lots of cool things branded with the green shield of emeraldness uh things like mugs and t-shirts and baby onesies um so your your child your child can be the most powerful preschooler on the playground 
Um, as far as where you can find us, um, you can find me on Elon Musk's hell site at I Have Fury. Um, what about you, Zach? Uh, you can email me, ZachW at RPGFan.com, or you can find me on our Discord uh, as ZachW. And Alex? And uh, you can feel free to email me at uh, alexfranicek at gmail.com. Uh, spelling should be available on RPG Fan. And, um, you know, Hikir Nobu Sakaguchi, if, if you want to hire me for my Lost Odyssey 2 uh, idea, I'm, I'm open to it. Uh, if you're listening, um, and yeah. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we, will, we, will accept, we will accept that in cash. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and uh, listeners, good night. Good luck. Thank you.